0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. GarageBand. It's like a $20 dollars upgrade over GarageBand. I start with GarageBand. Someone said there's a few more things you can add <clears throat> to this. Hey, keep talking to me. Uh, that's good. Give me a little more.
1: Do you have any audio examples of your comedy? I would be interested in listening to it.
0: No, you're not going to get any of that. Uh, No? No, I didn't save that. I didn't... No, usually in comedy clubs, you don't record, like... uh, I guess you could record your own stuff, but I don't... You have,
1: like, an audition tape or anything like that?
0: (laughs) No, no. Uh, I don't think I want that out there, to be honest. Okay. I feel like that that could be problematic. I could get in trouble for it. Did you see... um, Oh, what was it? The guy who's the head writer for... uh, Tosh.0, is Tripp's friend. Really? And he was at The Thing last night. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Tripp had introduced us and said, you guys need to get to know each other. Huh. Yeah.
1: That's your, that's your in.
0: That's it. Like, that's... No, not at all. <laughs> if I end up on that show, that would not be my in. It would be my end. Like, I would no longer have have a job.
1: One of my friends from high school is a stand-up
0: now. Oh, in really? In New York, yeah. Oh, wow. Nick Turner. Huh. That's had an album come out. Really? Yeah. Do you ever have that, like, hey, I talk in front of people, I... I can try to do this itch. I've thought, of, no, I no, I don't think,
1: I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think doing, I don't know. Like church people will just laugh at you because I think they're, they know when the joke is coming. Yeah. Or they trust you or like you enough to humor be- you even if it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that like strangers would give you the benefit of the doubt to like make it work over like a long period of time. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. Are you a football fan? No. No. Okay, like in football, you know why receivers, of course. Little guy, they have plays where he comes in motion, and then they'll have him block the big defensive end. It's called Mm -hmm. a crackback block. They get the defensive end or the outside linebacker. And the reason it works is because those guys aren't looking for the little receiver to come up. Mm -hmm. And so they can get blocked by basically by surprise, and it works. Like preacher jokes, like you can out of the blue say something – and it's not like a direct, you're a stranger, I have no relationship with you, I'm trying to make you laugh. It's indirect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but like with stand-up comedy, it's just, I'm going to stand right in front of you, and we're going to go, I'm going to try to make you laugh, even if you don't like it.
1: And I don't know, like, because I do, I, I do funny sermons, but it'll be like 25 minutes, and it's all like one piece, you know? Hmm. Like, I rarely do just like joke jokes. Joke jokes. Um, and so I don't, like, I don't the, like a compressed amount of time, I don't know that I could do that
0: hmm you it from my brief experience it makes you condense your words because if you have 25 are you you usually go 25 minutes 20 25 yeah uh if you've got that long then you can kind of take your time and slowly get there Mm -hmm. but comedy is like it's like the twitter of writing like it forces you to like be very terse and Mm. and and get rid of superfluous words
1: and my 43 followers on twitter would show (laughs) that i'm not i'm not good at that so
0: Oh, uh, that's funny! But you should like, like you should know comedy since your book is entitled "Cancer is Funny." <laughs> nice segue. You like that? We're here. Yeah. we during. Do you ever find yourself like going to like the children's ward and say, "Hey, you got cancer? This is funny." <laughs> no. No, you don't do that. No. When uh, When I first saw the title, uh, you know, what it made me think of is there's a friend of mine from my church named Ram John who's been on the podcast and he told a story uh he's from Rwanda, Rwanda he was a refugee um went to the Congo and then after the civil war he came back to Rwanda and so he does comedy in Rwanda and he told a story about like a cousin of his making a joke about being confused as like the wrong tribe like the Hutu Tutsi and like <laughs> if they confused him like he would have been killed like because just the wrong ethnicity and he like makes a joke about it I'm like <laughs> cancer's funny genocide's funny i don't know but there is something cathartic about being able to acknowledge like something that brings a moment of levity into a very tense situation so
1: yeah i mean i mean as a pastor i'm sure you know i mean there are plenty of terrible deaths that i've been present for and burials you know and you have that like bone racking grief that gives way to to laughter you know just like that um, so I, I so I, I do think there's something about the vulnerability of being sick um, that allows you allows humor to happen mm-hmm. uh, or and the absurd to like present itself. Yeah. Um, so so I do think that. Um,
0: okay, let me tell you this. Your book is entitled "Cancer Is Funny," and there is literally of that, not one word in that book that I've read that I ever think this word isn't perfect.
1: Oh, well, yeah. thank
0: you. Yeah. Well, thanks. That's. I, I've actually never read the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing because what you said is true. Yeah, because that is one of uh, What happened was for the podcast listeners, we're out here uh, at Trip Fuller's event. Um, and I emailed Trip. I said, hey, can we do this podcast? I want to jump because I know you got interviewed by Trip. And I emailed, or I texted Trip. I said, hey, let me jump in. I want to do the interview for this book. Because uh, backstory, I got to know you two months ago. Yep. Uh, you, you have a podcast, mm-hmm. Crackers and Juice, that you do with your sidekick, Tier. Yep. Tear, I feel like I'm... Tear-hardy, yeah. Tear-hardy. He's got great hair. I'll tell you that much. He does. But I got to know you on your podcast, and uh, so I got a copy of your book in from Fortress Press from Tony Jones, and I was like, this, I, I want to talk about this book, and I thought I'd do it with Trip, and I never heard back from Trip. So I was like, <laughs> when I was leaving my office, I was like, I don't want to pack another book if I'm not going to do a podcast about it, and then I listened to the podcast that you did, and I... If the, the goal of a podcast for an author is for people to connect with you and say, hey, I want to find out more about what you're writing about and what you're into, like, I really felt like, wow, this person's being vulnerable about their humanity, and there's something that's, that's very uh, attractive about the level of honesty that you're bringing to such a harsh subject. So l- let's jump into this. Okay. What kind of cancer was it? Is so it-
1: Yeah, it's called mantle cell lymphoma. Um, so it's a, it's a, just a rare, um, cancer in my bone marrow. Um,
0: And you got treatment for it. Um, as I heard in the podcast, your church members say you're healed, but that's not the level of optimism that you have, or maybe your doctors have.
1: Yeah. So, um, so it's the kind of cancer that, uh, is unseen until it's, um, real, real serious and presents itself usually. You know, like your GI system or something like that. And so I had like a, a tumor about the size of this very large John Milbank book uh, in my intestine, um, and so I, I did like a year of really intense chemo uh, for that after having the tumor removed. Um, and so it's the kind of cancer that will never go away. Um, and so I finished treatment a year ago in November. And then I've been doing uh, a day of maintenance chemo every month for it. Um, How long is that going to go? In perpetuity until it comes back. I mean, that's
0: so you're going to be doing cancer, or you're going to do chemo for the rest of your life, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, at some point it might give way to some other sort of treatment, but um, yeah, I had the recurrence talk with my oncologist last week. Actually. What is it?
0: What is that recurrence talk?
1: Um, he wanted to strategize next steps for when it comes back. So it was a little, little injection of reality uh, into into my life every month.
0: So and you're married, you've got kids. I've
1: got uh, married
0: my high school sweetheart. I've got
1: two boys, one who is 11 and one who is 14.
0: Okay, so you're processing this very openly. You're blogging about it. You also wrote a book. You've been talking about it. You said the other night that you didn't want your kids to be here to yeah. hear your level of just raw, honest... How are you processing that as a parent?
1: Uh, I mean, the, like, the challenge is to the challenge is to make it so that it's not the one thing that determines everything about our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, my wife and I are pretty intentional about, you know, having a bucket list. I guess, but you know, the bucket list actually has a lot of just ordinary stuff on it. Um, and I write about that in the book for when you read it, but, uh, can't wait to read it. (laughs) It sounds really good. Um, but yeah, no, it's, so we're open with the kids and, and, um, as I think every parent should be in this kind of situation. Um, but there's finding that balance between being open with them about our situation and what the future holds without, um, being too indulgent about it. Hmm. Um, so as a parent, that's, that's, Finding that balance is hard, and and to make uh, make their lives as normal as
0: possible. Hmm. Uh, Matt Chandler, do you know the name? Mm-hmm. Ba- Baptist pastor. Um, when I was in grad school, I spoke at a like a Bible study, like worship night thing. That he was the guy who spoke at before, and so I I knew Matt uh, back when I was an undergrad because he spoke there, and then eventually I took over for him. Uh, obviously, he had um, brain tumor mm-hmm. and you know his cancer. He was very Uh, forthright about it, and you you took the same approach of being very like, hey, this is what's going on, let's deal with it, let's talk about it openly and your faith in it. There's a struggle, I think, of um, not, like your word, indulgent, like not putting too much of it out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying Matt did, I'm just saying he was at such a a high visibility position Mm -hmm. that everyone knew about it. And Like the uh, people were everyone in like the Texas you know Christian circle were like, "Hey, what's going on,?" Blah, blah, blah. and it became like the center of like this almost like this reality show-ish fervor. Mm-hmm. I struggle with I want to put my story out there, but I don't want it to just be always about my story, and you say you don't want to be indulgent with your kids How, like, how do you balance that? Because I know you probably have that same like you don't want to just talk about yourself all the time.
1: No, and I certainly don't want to talk about having cancer all the time. I mean, it, like that's—I mean, it is hard, and how it's one of the things I talk about to people sometimes is how now, now that I'm back being a pastor, um, everyone wants to to minimize their own situation and suffering. You know, so every time I go to see someone in the hospital, they're like, "Well, it's nothing like what you went through," and I'm like, "Well, you're you're dying, so you, know, like, you have like a legitimate thing to like <laughs> you're dying." Uh, so, uh, so, so to, to, for people to treat you either as, you know, this leper uh, who's carrying this curse around or as this, like, miracle person. Um, and really, like, after being sick for so long, really, like, you just want to be Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, and have that just be part of your story, but, you know, not the only thing.
0: Yeah, you want, it to, like, to someone to go back to normal, even though there's, like, never a normal again. Like, pre-cancer Jason is a different person than post-cancer Jason.
1: I th- I think so. Yeah. I think so.
0: What, do you have things that you look at and go, this is clearly different? You probably didn't have a bucket list before that you really actually thought about. Or, or we didn't have, a, we, we weren't as intentional
1: about actually getting that stuff done. Like, that's the hard, I mean, you probably know. I mean, when you work on the weekends, it's easy to let goals and activities slide. Um, and, and so now we're more intentional about actually doing the stuff that we want to do. Hmm. Um, and then what my friends tell me is that certain ways that I communicate my faith are are different now than they were. What before. do they say? Um, that uh, it's more urgent. Um, that it's clearer, um, stronger. Uh, and, and I, I, I don't dicker around as much.
0: Hmm. Give me another example of what it means. Like you're you're more urgent, more straightforward. What? Uh, how do you think that comes out? I. <laughs>
1: I, okay, so like as a preacher, you'll know like the the power or the appeal of uh, of wanting to set the message up well, mm-hmm. get people's attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, so I'm someone who has always admired Karl Bart, and I've always agreed theologically with Bart's idea that you should trust the word enough as self-revealing to not bother with introductions and sermons. Okay. And theologically, I've always like yes, I absolutely agree with that, and I've never once trusted. I've never trusted it enough to do it. Uh, and, and, but I, I, I do have a confidence now that God is real and that God is active apart from me, the speaker, um, to just have at it.
0: So you, you're more aware of the presence of God? Like you trust in that more? It sounds uh, like you're saying that. Um,
1: yeah, and part of, like, if you'd read the book.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, part, part of, I mean, For me, what that means is that... To be fair, though. You never read anything I've written before I was on your podcast, so let's not... It's true, it's true.
1: Okay. Um, so, towards the end of the book, um, when I was kind of at a low point, I reflect on... Because my doctor, after um, doing a bone marrow biopsy of me, um, kind of patted me on the back and said, you know, you've been through the fire. Um, and So I was, had that in my head, and I was thinking about um, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego mm-hmm. um, in the fiery furnace and how we always talk about God's presence being there with them, um, but that's narrated through the observers who are looking down into the furnace. Um, and so I, you know, it made me wonder, like, did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually know that God was there with them in the furnace, or did they have to hear that testimony from the people who were watching? Um, and for me, even though I never went through this, like why is God doing this to me, on a rational theological level, I did feel it existentially. Um, and I and I got to the point where I, I didn't feel God's presence. And part of that was just fatigue um, and pain. Um, but for me, it like one of the things I've learned is that if faith is trust, what it means to be faithful is to trust what other people are telling you uh, about where God is. Um, and so in large part, God is more present to me because I trust the witness of my friends hmm. uh, who tell me that God is.
0: What does it look like for people to tell you God is active? God is with you uh, in your suffering.
1: I mean, part. Well, I mean,
0: part part of what that is is like I've had
1: to be shorn of my cynicism about the church. Um, that I think when you're a pastor, you spend a whole lot of time refereeing. Uh, what is good church and what is bad church and you spend a lot of time wanting your church to be something other than it is um, but when you're stressed into the receiving end of your own church's ministry for the first time y- you can see that even people who do Christianity differently than you do it in a genuine authentic way hmm. um, and so like like I'm not nearly as snarky as I was before hmm. um, just because they've, they've robbed me of that.
0: Their their compassion, their love has robbed you of your cynicism?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I got lots of, um, I don't know if I said this the other night, but, I, I mean, I got lots of cards about, you know, why this is happening to me, and, you know, God's doing this to me for X, Y, Z reasons, but, like, I didn't get one freaking card from anybody in my church that said something like that. Hmm. Um, and I was really proud of them. Yeah. Um. And I took credit for it,
0: but, but I was still proud of it. You're like, my 11 years here finally <laughs> paid off. You all say things correctly and suffering. You said that theologically you didn't feel like you know, God was punishing you or you know, God was against you or God wasn't with you. You had a, a strong theological base. I mean, you've gone to—didn't you go to Princeton? I did, the of you. University of Virginia. Gosh, you're smart. Princeton, man. So you went to Princeton— You should have a a good theological foundation, Mm -hmm. but you still had an existential crisis that I I know in my head that God isn't with me, but, like, existentially I feel alone. Is that how you... Yeah. Why do you think there's a a separation between theologically and your experiential...
1: I I mean, I I just think that's probably... I mean, it's just human nature Mm -hmm. to go through that. And maybe it's just part of, like, a necessary part of the grief process, Um and, and but Yeah, and theologically, like, I'm still where I was when I began. It's just, it has a different sheen to it, I think. Um, but for me, like, for me, the crisis isn't, like, where is God in this? It's why can't God create a better world than this
0: one? Hmm. Um, is there any different, though, like, God isn't with you or God isn't with the world fixing it the way you, you need it to be fixed or it should be fixed? I'm
1: more... I'm more adamant now than I ever was before, that the most Christian posture towards suffering and evil is rage against explanation.
0: What do you mean, rage against explanation?
1: Um, and, well, it's funny you just talked to John Cobb. Like, I, I, I recoil at kind of like the hard Calvinist understanding that every action in the world is a reflection of God's sovereign will, Mm -hmm. um, because I think that loses the New Testament's awareness that the world isn't the way God would want it to be. Mm -hmm. The other side of that is I I don't find compelling at all the process understanding that God isn't doing this, isn't behind these events, but God is alongside us. Um, And as someone who suffers, I I have no, like I, I derive no comfort from the idea that God's just kind of passively experiencing this with me. Um, For me, like the best good news that I hold on to is the idea that suffering and evil is something completely um, antagonistic towards God. Mm -hmm. That God isn't at all um, behind it. Um, God isn't kind of just with me through it. um, But that God and Jesus Christ is contending against it as an enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... The way I understand the cross is that, you know, God responds to the crosses that we build with Easter. Um, and so Say that again. That God responds to the crosses that we build with Easter.
0: Just, just slow it, say it like a good preacher. Come on, that's a good line. And, and Just rush through it.
1: You know, and, and what that means is, you know, so like there can be like the meaning of the cross is there, there is no meaning to the cross. That God refuses to employ violence for his ends. Uh, whether it's the violence of cancer, or the violence of crosses, uh, or the violence of, you know, armies, what have you, natural disasters, mm-hmm. uh, that, that none of those things are of God. But that, like, what we find in Jesus is, some, is you know, how God is contending against it.
0: And that's, that's resurrection. Yeah. How, uh, how, how much do you lean on resurrection in your cancer? A lot. (laughs) So I think,
1: like a lot of good liberal mainline Protestants, I have uh, usually taken the posture that the traditional notions of heaven um, and the afterlife isn't really the real message, you Mm -hmm. know, and that it's all about bringing the kingdom here, like all the anti right stuff that I'm sure you've read too. Um, You know, but now that like I've gone through this, like, oh, I thought I was going to die, and I, I still am going to probably sooner than a lot of people. Now I'm like, oh, wow. these like traditional understandings of the actual life have some <laughs> logical merit. To, to them. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so I'm a lot more sympathetic to the pie in the sky now. Um, but
0: it, okay, but Wright wouldn't say that it's either or. That that's true. We've gotten just a whole lot of pie in the sky, and we haven't had anything else. That's true. Yeah, and, and so he would say, pie in the sky. There's there's some of that there, but it's not the only thing. In the message and. Okay, so I've made this. You know, I'm not a main la- mainliner like you. Uh, I'm actually a Christian with means. I have a <laughs> better chance to get there if there is a pie in the sky, which I believe so. But that does it. it it's gotten knocked down a few notches in my level of importance mm-hmm. as well. Like right, so I go to seminary, and that's that kind of happens. But suffering seems to bring it back up. Yeah, and and, and I think.
1: Um, The idea that, you know, the other side of resurrection is that death is an enemy. Mm -hmm. I think um, we tend to do a lot of talking about death being a natural part Mm -hmm. of life, um, which I think you can derive that understanding from the natural world, uh, that death is a part of life. I don't think that's a part of the New Testament world, though. Mm -hmm. Um, And so wanting to hold on to my life and being made aware of everything that's, you know, precious to me, and not wanting to die, uh, that's made me appreciate the New Testament witness that death is is an enemy with a capital D. Yeah. No. Um,
0: have you read? To be defeated. Have you read Beck stuff about how sin is the enforcer, but death is the real mob boss? Like mm. that. Like no, that's the how? real enemy. It's he goes. You know, Christus Victor and what what Christ overcomes really is death and sin sin is there it's mm-hmm. bad but it it really works for death and death is ultimate i mean this is Chris's victor 101 stuff yeah. that that you know but yeah i mean i, I would assume for you i mean it, it's a lot bigger it's a, the d is capitalized since you're yeah, I mean, you got cancer in the same way that you know when I'm talking to an eight-year-old about death, it's different than me, and mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be. I mean, honestly, we we know how capricious life is and how it's not guaranteed. But I of sure feel like I'm guaranteed a whole lot more than probably you do uh, after you have a, a terrible diagnosis, right?
1: Yeah, it, it's. I mean, to answer your question another way is like I'm motivated to write a children's book about death that it doesn't. It's like in my church we have these like little kids' books that mm-hmm. have like dragonflies on them. And it's all, like, like, premised on some metaphor about, I don't know, springtime renewal and, and all this crap. And I'm like, how do, how do we talk about, like, actual New Testament language about death to children in a way that doesn't, you know, mentally damage them, but is truthful at the same time?
0: Okay, what's the, what's the pitch for that? How, how are you? I
1: think it's, um, and I talk about this in my book, not in terms of children. But, okay,
0: I didn't read it. I got fine. it. Fine.
1: Okay. No. Um, so I, I think it's, it's narrating the life of Jesus to, to the children, I think, mm-hmm. um, that we talk so much about Jesus' death, or, you know, if we're super progressive, we focus more on Jesus' life, mm-hmm. um, but we so seldom think about how, you know, what the incarnation gives us is a model or a template, really, to go through suffering and death on our on our own Mm -hmm. you know so how is Jesus's death an example for how we're supposed to die Mm -hmm. um you know so like the disciples are asking Jesus why did the tower fall on people like we use Jesus's answer as like a model for how to answer like Jesus is forgiving the people he needs to forgive before he dies like you know like that's more than just like a niche in the passion story that's like a model for how like we can end our lives well too
0: Yeah, I don't think about ending my life well at this point. <laughs> I really don't. Like, I, it's just not It's not in there. Yeah. So I hate to sound like a Tim McGraw song at this point, but you know what song I'm talking about? You live in the North. I'd, you, I'd, you, you I don't, don't live country. in Texas. You don't, you don't know country music. I like Sergio Simpson. I have no clue who that is. Seriously? I'm not a real... Like, oh, I'm not you a, need
1: to listen to Sergio Simpson.
0: I, I watch The Simpsons. Jason
1: Isbell? He's great, too. Okay, I know that. I've All heard right. that name.
0: Okay, but like, live like you were dying. Like, when you find... Out that you don't have a whole lot left like you're gonna go ride a bull named Fu Manchu I think that's a lyric from the song and I I, I hate myself that I just did that Um <laughs> so there's a, there's a sense of gratitude and appreciation that mm-hmm. for what you have like that's the bucket list thing you want to do the children's book you don't want to just let your weekend just be work but you want to spend time with your kids Um resurrection's more important to you now yep. as well Um can you think of anything else that's that's majorly altered Um, really, it's, uh,
1: yeah, my doctor, like, promised me that he'd write me a letter that said I never had to work again, basically, (laughs) Um, which, I mean, at some later point, maybe I'll take him up on that, (laughs) but, uh, what, I mean, more than anything, and, like, more than any, like, important life lesson, what my experience has revealed to me is that, I like the life I have, mm-hmm. you know, and that my the gratitude I expressed to my doctor was for giving me my life back, um, you mm-hmm. know, the one that I had, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so more than the bucket list, more than like profound lessons, it's just, just the, just the ordinary life that I had with my wife and my kids, like that's like it's, yeah. it's you know like the giftedness of it mm-hmm. is more obvious to
0: me now. Hmm. Okay, since the Tim McGraw reference didn't work, let's try Chance the Rapper. (laughs) Uh, He's got a line in one of his songs on his new album about... um, He's expressing his gratitude, and he goes, I would probably be the one crying at my own funeral because there's a sense of, like, I'm so grateful for what I have, you know, right now. And so that's where you are. Um,
1: I mean, at my own funeral, like, I've always wanted you know, a heavy set black woman to sing You're the Best Thing That Ever Happened to Me. Uh, but chances are up for my work, too.
0: I mean, get them both. <laughs> Why not? Um, hmm. So, how'd you tell your kids?
1: Um, badly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, the way it happened is I got a call from a GI doctor asking if I was sitting down. And that was while I was driving them home from swim practice. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, so the GI doctor is explaining this to me. And like he said, the pain in my stomach is caused by this tumor invaginating my intestine. And my oldest son's sitting next to me and he hears that. He's like, vaginates? Like, we learned about that in family life. Um, and so, like, that was... And I had to explain that it wasn't, you know, like a, a sex term. It no. Was <laughs> something else. <laughs> um, so all I told them was that uh, there was, you know, a tumor inside me that was making me sick uh, and that I would have a, like, I'd have to have surgery the next day. And then it was up to my wife to have to explain the rest of it to them. Um,
0: you get the call saying you get a tumor and the next day you're getting...
1: Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. I mean, it was. They're not messing around. Like this is. No, I think they, they were really worried it was going to rupture. Um,
0: and if it ruptured, that means it would have gone. It just would have been bad.
1: Hmm. Um, which is a sore spot with my wife because I had had like terrible stomach pains for like six months, and she kept nagging me to go. Not nagging, sorry, honey. Uh, she kept <laughs> telling me to go to the doctor. I'd be like, "Oh, it's okay. It's I okay."
0: Yeah. Do they say there would have been a difference if you would have gone six months before? No. Okay.
1: No, it, and and, like, and that's one of the things. So, like the subtitle of the book, which was like my idea for the title, uh, is called "Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Cancer." And and you know, it's called that because um, it manifests so aggressively and so quickly that there's no way to stage it like a traditional cancer. Um, so that at the time you know you have it, it's it's somewhere between four and five. Um, and so there's no way of knowing when I developed it and how fast you know it developed, but. You know, going earlier probably wouldn't have, would have made a difference. Uh, yeah. So the, the cancer is funny was not my idea, but
0: <laughs> was that Tony? It was yeah. Tony's and idea. Yeah. Thanks a lot, and Tony. It, Jones. And and
1: it's and it's it's Tony's contrary nature that every time someone complains about the title or is offended by it, he takes it as proof that it's a great title. Um, so I have like a, a really good friend who's a teacher in a middle school and they have like this um cork board. In their hallway of their school and like all the teachers write like what they're reading and so she put up like a little thing and said cancer is funny um and for like a week every day people would like cross it out or like take it down and she kept having to like repost it uh and so there's so there's something about the title that definitely uh can't offend mm-hmm. um, and so it so it works in that sense
0: okay it's offensive it's an attention grabber But aren't you trying to speak to a more substantial idea behind that? I mean, or was that Tony's trying to push you to something more substantial? Because Uh,
1: I think he was pushing the title because it gets attention and because like humor is the way that I write. Yeah. Um, For me, like the way I try to frame it is that. um, So everyone assumes that the experience of suffering takes you closer to God, um, leads you to enlightenment, something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But for me, you know, who God is, is love with a capital L and goodness itself and and joy. Um, And so for me, it follows that, you know, that if suffering is going to get you closer to God, eventually that experience of suffering is going to give way to to laughter and joy. Um, And so that's kind of, theologically, that's kind of how I try to frame the book. Hmm. Um, But it's also true that the experience of suffering can be such that cancer is funny in the sense that it... Sometimes it can feel like the joke is on believers for believing.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I get that. I was talking to a, um, uh, some friends who lost their son and the husband said it was a few years later and his wife uh, was in the other room in the house and she was watching uh, some show and she laughed and, he he knew that that was the first time he's heard his wife laugh mm-hmm. in years since their son passed away. And he knew that, wow, there, that's a moment that, that mattered because it was a significant moment that they had, something has turned. Yeah. Were you able to, I mean, did it take you a while to laugh again? Once you found out that you, I mean, you're coming up from swim practice, you get the news, you tell your wife you're in surgery the next day.
1: Um, no, and I don't know if it was healthy or not, but like, so, like, other ways that humor works for me is that, you know, I grew up in a home, you know, my parents divorced, you know, there was addiction involved, and so when you grow up in that kind of home, you learn how to use humor as a way of deflecting yeah, um, and protecting yourself and not making yourself vulnerable, and so I still have that tendency, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that pops up with, especially, like, in my marriage, like, that's that's the way I try to not engage my wife, even though I'm not like... Just to a, make a joke. It's just a habit, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: and I do the same thing, N- not with your wife, but with mine. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you find yourself having to tell yourself, stop, you don't have to make a joke here, Saying in this.
1: She normally tells me. <laughs> but, but, I, but I do do it, and I think I do it less now. Um, but I also, I, I felt, I think maybe it's because I'm a pastor, um, but I felt the need kind of subconsciously to, like make my situation okay for other people, um, you know, like, like, and so, like, as soon as I wake up from surgery, like, I was, and I wasn't trying to be, like, I'm just making jokes as a way of making sure everyone in the room with me is okay, yeah. um, and that's probably not healthy, but, it, I mean, it's just what it was.
0: Well, yeah.
1: Because my wife's sobbing, and my mom's there sobbing, her of course. my wife's twin sister's there crying, and Um, people from work like Tear were coming to visit me and like, they don't know what to say. Um,
0: do you feel like being a pastor prevented you from being in the moment because you always have to take care of other people? And so you couldn't do the self-care required to have healthy grief and suffering?
1: I think I had, no, I I think, um, and I, in a different setting, maybe it would be different, but, uh. So the the pastor that I work with, Dennis, is the pastor who brought me into Christianity when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. um, and so he did a really good job of making sure I didn't have any ministry roles at all. Um, mm. And so he took care of me from the beginning. Good. Um, so, so I didn't have to. Yeah, I didn't have to worry about that. Hmm.
0: Good. So one of the cool things about you is that you're best friends with Stanley Hauerwas. <laughs> I am, just and, like this. Yeah, just super tight. Do you ever just say, when you're with him in the room, just go, stand by your man. Like, do you ever do, do that? No, <laughs> No, but he,
1: uh, so he preached at my church recently, and uh, I think he commented, on I think it was one of my prayers afterwards. It was my Eucharistic prayer. It was like an impromptu great Thanksgiving at our Saturday service, which is kind of informal, and afterwards he said that it sounded like he was listening to himself and I, that was literally like one of the best things <laughs> anyone has ever told me it was like I have arrived oh. you said so,
0: he, what he's saying is that it sounds like you're ripping off a lot of the stuff that I've written yes
1: you've read me so much that you're just speaking me without you know realizing that you're doing <laughs> it
0: which is a kind of a narcissistic compliment like what <laughs> I like about you is you sound like me
1: yeah yeah,
0: but he wrote a nice blurb for your book, which meant he read it and really liked it, which is why I wrote that blurb, right? Did I tell you this story?
1: I, come I on, don't dude, remember. you got to
0: go with this, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you don't so, know. Th- okay, you're a a baby in the podcast game. You got like 50 episodes. Let me teach you something. You sometimes you just got to go with it, man. All right,
1: all right, all right. So yeah, he he blurb my book and it sucked uh, like really bad, and it was. You know, I was like, I think maybe he read the first page of the introduction. <laughs> um, so it was terrible, but it had his name attached to it, and he was gracious enough to do it, so it was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he comes to my church, and we become fast friends, um, and I don't mention my illness or anything like that because it just seemed to be weird to just, you
0: know. Hey, Stan, I've yeah. <laughs> still got cancer. How are you? But somebody else mentioned
1: it to him, and he came, and so he, he was like, I, I hear you had, you know, you know, have this cancer, and you've written about it, and I was like, Yeah. And I could see the gears going in his head, trying oh, to, like, yeah. oh my gosh, I think maybe I remember this book that you sent me. And, um, but <laughs> developing that relationship with him, he went home and he read it in a day, I think, and sent me a very nice email about the book that was so much better than the blurb, but it was too late, you know, because the book was already done, so I couldn't attach it on the cover or anything like that. <laughs> um, but he emails me, like, several times a week now. Like, we're like pen pals. You so guys are great. tight? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's especially with someone of his age to be able to see his work take root in a local congregation. I think is encouraging to him.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's good. Hmm. Well, I feel like we covered this book. Everything I read about the book, I really got to discuss that. I that really pulled on my heartstrings. It's, it sounds
1: so, like you you really got out of it more than anyone else who's interviewed me about it. So
0: that's good. Well, you know, me and Stan have a lot in common. <laughs> we both didn't read your book. <laughs> You're both from Texas, and we're both from Texas. Yeah. yeah. I've never interviewed him, honestly. He he, uh,
1: I was so excited to interview him, so nervous, and it was terrible. Was it? I well, because I so I've read him enough to know what his answer to every question is going to be. Oh wow! Um, and I was determined to get him off his normal tropes and talking points. Did you get to do that? And I was completely incapable of doing it. Mm-hmm. I think because I so respect him, I wasn't willing
0: to push. Yeah, because yeah, that you you can't do that if it's someone like. Because yeah. he's how old? Like eighty? Yeah. something seventy-eight. I don't know. If you, were, old. if you respect, he's old. If you respect someone like you're not going to push against him, and which no. is really what you need to do as the interviewer. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, well done. Thank good, you, Luke. Good podcast. You happy with this? I, I, are you happy with it? Yeah, I'm. I'm very happy. Okay. Yeah. Good. You're uh, happy. I'm happy. Well, you know, I've been on your podcast. You've been on mine. I feel like we uh, uh, we're like best friends now. <laughs> Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.